0: What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. We're talking about performance manual therapy with Mike Stella. So you can check Mike out at Mike movement.com So Mike is an athletic trainer, owns his own business, and he's kind of got his hand in a couple different areas, uh, as some of the other athletic trainers were talking about during AT Own Business Series. And of course, I'm joined with the expert himself, as he's not gonna he's gonna say he's not, is Adam Halpern. And so Adam's really connecting me with a lot of different people who are uh, innovating and changing athletic training changing the the model the aspect or or the rather than just being in the high school different things that athletic trainers can do so adam again welcome back and thanks for connecting me with everybody this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com performance manual therapy because that is mike's business per, uh, performance manual therapy so again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com performance manual therapy so without much further ado mike let get to you and hear your athletic trainer story.
1: Oh awesome. Uh well thanks guys for having me. It's great to be on and uh get get a chance to talk to you guys about this. This is um athletic training is my passion. You know it's been for a long time and, and it's great to see you know the profession start to move into different directions. Um so my story uh originally I guess uh how I got into athletic training was uh, I was a high school cross player and I was a fairly highly recruited lacrosse player. And I ended up having a, a catastrophic knee injury my senior year, which led to a lot of changes in my collegiate destination for, for lacrosse and for school. So uh, I ended up at Marist, which was the last D one that was willing to uh, give me any money and they happened to have an athletic training program. So it was kind of uh, serendipitous in that way, I suppose. And so I switched over to that major and that was kind of how it happened. Um, I think I was never able to get back to my prior level of performance. I always had uh, either complications with the knee or it led into a lot of other injuries and issues that I was experiencing. And and I guess that kind of lit the fire um, for, you know, not wanting to see other athletes kind of fall through the cracks and have that happen to them. So, you know, again, really passionate about, you know, obviously the manual therapy side, but just how do we integrate that with a performance model um, so that we're optimizing our results in the least amount of time.
0: All right. So then we're talking about performance manual therapy. Um we're gonna get to that, but what got you after after college, what did you do?
1: Um uh, so so I went you know, so I did athletic training at Marist and uh my first my first job actually out of school was with the University of Florida. I was really fortunate um to nail a, a position down there. It's actually supposed to be a grad assistantship, but they had some structural changes to their Uh, athletic training team uh, that year. So they actually made up a new position for me. So I was like an interim athletic trainer with track and field as they were expanding the staff for that sport. Um, But I got to work with a lot of different sports there. And my time there with Andy Clock, who's the uh, athletic trainer for track and field, he's been there for quite a number of years. He's a massage therapist as well. And he was really the one who inspired me to, to get into manual therapy. I was still dealing with some of my own issues at the time. Uh, with the knee and and he was really the the person that was able to help me the most um and was using those manual methods uh that like we're talking about so i went to florida i spent about a year and a half there and then i was able to get a grad assistantship at george washington university where uh, i did my graduate work and i met chad jones who's a a good friend of adam's and and that's how we got linked up um so i spent two years at gw Uh, i got my master's in sports management so, I went kind of a little bit of a different direction. I felt like a business degree would be more, um, maybe just to diversify my experience a little bit. I felt like that was something that I would be interested in doing, but didn't necessarily have uh, a strong background in it. So, decided to take the leap and to do something completely different, which it ended up working out great. So, got my master's in sports management. Um, I ended up coming back to New York. Uh, I had some family things that I needed to take care of so I took a job at LIU Brooklyn so I was there for a year um, and then honestly I just kind of in the classic athletic training role got really burnt out you know I went from Florida which was a staff of 30 plus athletic trainers for 22 sports to a staff of three for 21 sports and um, you know I still believed in, in getting my hands on my athletes and really working with them um, on a day-to-day basis so philosophically that's kind of how I knew how to practice and how I wanted to do it and it just wasn't sustainable at the volume that we were doing it at liu it was just you know uh, athletes all day and you know we you know we can talk about like the other parts of it too which was you know the time commitment obviously and then obviously the money wasn't there really so it was a really difficult time in my adult life um and that's kind of when i decided i needed to make a change and get into the private sector so I, i took a job at a pt clinic which you know most athletic trainers or some athletic trainers have experience with as well and um, I got burnt out there for entirely different reasons. <laughs> um, had a regular work, you know, eight to no, an eight to six or whatever nine to five schedule, and uh, but I was just seeing it was just a factory, man. It was like uh, we had no time with people, you know, just a whole insurance model of of having insurance companies dictate what treatments were done and how they were done and when they were done. I just that kind of burnt me out in my soul I guess a little bit because it just wasn't true to what I believed in in terms of uh, you know working with people and treating people and um, so that's kind of when I took the jump out on my own. Uh, I had an opportunity to partner with a friend of mine who was going to open a sports performance training center and uh, we have since parted ways but um, that was a really great experience. It gave me the opportunity to kind of test this performance manual therapy model out in kind of like a little vacuum. Uh, it was a tiny little room, 100 square feet uh, that I was able to kind of get things started. In. And, and you know, the market showed me that it had some merit. So I've since expanded that and broke it out onto my own with the Movement Underground. And, and that's I'm planning to expand that model into a multidisciplinary model.
0: All right. So just continue on that right there. You're, you got Movement Underground, talking about uh, expanding the performance manual therapy. So you, it was started as like an a hundred, like a 10 by 10 room in the back of a performance center. So, uh, just continue there. Tell me, tell me the story about performance manual therapy.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, great. So really, so what we were doing was trying to, you know, as part of our intake assessment with our athletes, just, you know, like on, on the performance side, you know, like an FMS or movement screen and, uh, a table assessment, you know, lifestyle and habits assessment, and just kind of really looking at, you know, what our athletes goals were, where they are on that spectrum of, you know, training and, and, um, and how we can use manual therapy as a more of an injury mitigation tool. I, I won't say injury prevention, I, I think is probably more apt, but just taking a more proactive stance with it. You know, so instead of waiting till guys got hurt or experienced pain to come and seek care, we built it into their training so that it was something that was proactive and consistent. Um, so it established that, you know, kind of a classic athletic trainer role, which is being with the athletes and being with your clients. And it's not just the athletes that were training. We had general population people who joined our our system as well, which was really cool to have a diverse, you know, client population. Um but yeah, just having it be more of like what that athletic training role is, which is being in the trenches and really having that support system in place for people while they're on their exercise, fitness, training, or sports journey. Um, so, you know, flash forward now. So that, you know, basically what happened over the three and a half, four years that I was with that company, um, it just really outgrew the space, which is a good problem to have. Um, and, and you know, my partner and I, my former partner and I, just didn't see eye to eye philosophically anymore on, on the direction that we wanted to go with it. You know, it, it became apparent to me that he was more interested in the financial uh, upside than the actual, you know, expanding the model and kind of being more um, involved in the community and, and doing more good. So, the movement underground is in in quite a bit more space. It's it's about 1,500 total square feet i um, in two different rooms that it'll, it'll be, it's still un- in, in construction. It's operational, but we don't have everything set up yet. Um, so my plan for it is to be a multidisciplinary approach, meaning that, you know, I'm, I'm in there seeing my clients. I have a massage therapist who's working with me and we're planning to, or the, we're in talks with a physical therapist right now who's going to rent some space as well. So essentially what I'm trying to set up is like an independent training studio, so to speak, but more on the clinical side and, and allow Outside therapists that obviously we vet and, and we sit down and make sure they're philosophically in line with what we're trying to do, but allow them to kind of run their own business and manage their own schedule and manage their own clients, but have a really great collaborative, uh, supportive environment to do so in. And, and um, I'm really targeting some of those younger entrepreneurial therapists. I don't really care what credential you are, as so long as you know you have that skill set and and that desire to help people and and treat the person, not necessarily the injury or the pathology. So that's the plan is to bring in more like-minded or, or similarly minded, not, not, they don't have to believe, but I believe all the time, but uh, just have a, you know, treatment philosophy that matches treating the person as, as the primary directive and not just dealing with, you know, insurance and injuries and that kind of stuff. So the plan is to expand it beyond and, and try to show the market that it can be a collaborative environment where we all work together because we're all dealing with the same stuff now. It doesn't matter what credential you are, LNT, ATC, PT, Cairo, you know, osteopath. Like we're all movement people. We're all trying to help people move better and feel better, so they can move better, so they can move more. And, and I think you know these divisions we put up in between our professions are ridiculous. Um, it's more of a waste of energy because we have more in common than we have different. Uh, and so, what I'm trying to do is hopefully create a micro environment where we can prove that it can be done, uh, and that's kind of the next step I think, or the next. Uh, why it's called the movement underground is you know because we're kind of going against the traditional mold of healthcare, um, but we're doing so in a way we're creating an alliance with our clients and alliance between other healthcare providers.
0: Performance manual therapy. You, re- you realized that you wanted to be able to use your hands to treat patients and and actually I was kind of talking with Adam and he was talking about he didn't really like treating patients uh, as an athletic trainer and that's how he kind of realized that that wasn't his thing um tell me a little bit more about some of the the manual therapies the treatments that that you've liked best and then the ones that you realized didn't really work for you
1: um yeah great question I mean I think that going back to that experience of Florida, you know, it was a really cool um, time for me because it was basically athletic training in a vacuum. We really didn't have any budgetary concerns. Staffing was not an issue. So we got to spend a lot of time with the athletes and, and being proactive and being preventative in nature and, um, and work with really high level athletes at the same time. I mean, we had, geez, I can't even tell you how many Olympians were on that team. The, the track and field team the year I was there while well, one of them was Christian Taylor's two-time Olympic gold medalist and the triple jump, you know, so the, the the talent across that board that we got to work with was unbelievable. And um, the coolest part about the manual therapy. And, and again, going into that experience, I was much of the same school of thought. I, you know, at Marist, it was, manual therapy something considered like when when athletes came in and be like hey we're not a massage therapist like you're not coming in here for a massage and that was kind of the attitude or the approach uh, when it came to manual therapy but when i got to florida dealing with a, a knee injury myself so i had my knee reconstructed in 2004 2008 comes along and that's when i'm at florida but i'm still dealing with you know some pain and issues uh anterior pain ridiculous symptoms down into my leg and Andy was really the person who nailed it down and he used a lot of manual uh, therapy methods. And we, it turns out I had a saphenous nerve entrapment in the scar tissue from my knee surgery and doing a lot of fascial work and, and instrument work uh, actually opened up those tissues again for me and, and it relieved that nerve entrapment and it totally changed my whole life. Um, I wasn't able to run really at that point without considerable pain or discomfort. Um, and I did play a couple of years of college across through that and it just, you know, I, like I said, I was never the same guy really. Um, Andy really helped me a ton. And I saw how powerful manual therapy and getting your hands on people can be, how you can instantly change the way somebody moves. And at that point, I was hooked. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. And that's how I wanted to approach it was, you know, being able to give somebody that instant result and then utilize that, you know, and at the time, we the school of thought was that we were breaking up stuff and lengthening fascia and lengthening muscle. And that's kind of what we thought we were doing. And, and obviously, the, the, the research and the science has evolved considerably since then. And we're now taking a look at more of the neurological side of why we're seeing these amazing effects and and still it's still really interesting and compelling to me how you can change somebody's pain experience how you can change uh, their movement and more importantly how you can really get them to buy into that process you know I, I think if you get any client regardless of whether they're an athlete or you know a general population person if they're struggling with the pain on some level that is a huge psychological barrier for a lot of people to get into a health or fitness or training program and being consistent and sustainable with it. So if you use that manual therapy as a as a vehicle to deliver education, if you use it as a vehicle to, you know, obviously connect with somebody and have them buy into the process of treatment, buy into the process of rehab or the process of training, I, I think that's its biggest um the biggest win for us as, as therapists that we can get is somebody to go, okay, you know what? Mike showed me a small result in a small period of time. I'm going to stick with this now and really give it a go. And then if you can get somebody out three, four, five, six months, you can change the way somebody lives and moves in, in an incredible, powerfully way, in an incredibly powerful way. So uh, that's kind of what I believe in and, and I still believe in and still how I practice. And uh, I think those early years really, um, molded that now even though it's evolved considerably i would say since then
0: all right i want to go back to you creating the business so i'm in the process of um starting a business here with the sports medicine broadcast adam is is a business owner and he's in the process you know in the process of building that up and helping other athletic trainers create and build their business and so what does your business background look like i know you said you got your mba um, or your, the, your master's was in business administration. I think that's MBA. Um, and then, but, but part of the reason that I've never really wanted to do my own business is because my dad owns his own business and it's a lot of paperwork, a lot of stuff, a lot of late nights and um, that type of thing. And, and it's just something that I, I didn't want to do. I didn't want to have to do all that, spend all that time. I'd rather just work, earn my money, go home and then I'm done. And so yeah. for me, that's been a, a big hangup up but talk a little bit about your background experience and getting to where you wanted to own your own business.
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. Listen, here's the truth. Here's the the God's honest truth, it isn't for everybody. It really isn't for everybody. you know, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of stuff that I hate doing admin work. I'm not the best at it. You know, obviously we had a late start to this podcast today because, you know, I'm not the best at even managing my own schedule sometimes, but uh, it's a labor of love. I I think my issue with it or how I got to the point where I knew I wanted to start my own business was, um, I think I, you know, because of how passionate I am for what I do. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not a dumb person. Like I'm pretty smart guy and I'm, I spent a lot of time reading. And I think early on, I, I read, um, I read something that if you, if you want to be an expert in your field, you have to put 10,000 hours in. And I, and I took that as almost like a personal challenge. So when I was at Florida, I was like averaging like anywhere between 90 and hundred hours a week of work. <laughs> and, and again, the best part for me was it was, I was 21 years old and I had no other obligations outside of that. So I just immersed myself in it and I wanted to be the best uh, sports therapist that, that I could be period, you know, so I had to learn with a lot of different professionals. And, and I think as that, evolved in that time went on i i worked for a number of different people and and i ended up getting taken advantage of you know and that uh, unfortunately because i was passionate and willing to go above and beyond the call of duty for my patients and my athletes that the people that always ended up holding the cards always ended up kind of taking advantage of that and um, and that sucks but it's the reality of what it's the truth of the business world and a capitalistic market is there's foot soldiers and there's people that hold strings and um I just decided that I would rather work 100 hours a week for myself than work 40 hours a week for somebody else. Um, and, and, and you know, it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of extra things that I don't like doing. But um, the, the ends justify the means, you know what I mean? So I still get to go to my place, the movement underground. It's designed the way I like it. I'm surrounding myself with the people that Make me feel great about what we're doing. And, and it's a really supportive environment. And to be in control of all of that and to kind of do it differently than I experienced on that end before. And, and that's kind of, again, the inspiration for the business model itself, which is, you know, I want to bring in really good therapists that want to be there and they're in control of their own financial destiny. And yes, they're going to pay a certain amount of their session fee to the house so that we can cover the cost of the business. And the business obviously has to make some money. But I'm always going to put the higher value proposition with the therapist versus the business. Um, and I think that's how you build culture. Uh, and I think the culture is what's going to attract clients and those clients are obviously what's going to have us all get paid. Right. So it's really more of an abundance mindset than a scarcity mindset. And, or at least that's what I'm intentionally trying to do, um, is is just build a place where a, a young therapist who maybe doesn't have the business savvy to do it on their own, but has that entrepreneurial spirit and really wants to work, uh, at it, um has a place to, you know, get, you know, get some professional and personal development as well as a really great environment to
2: to hone their craft. How many therapists do you have with you? So
1: right now it's just me and one other. Uh and it was he's a massage therapist. He actually was an intern for me for a year. And so this is a perfect example, right? So Anthony, he uh he came to me, he was a year into massage therapy school and he was like, listen, I really want to work more with athletes and I'm really not great at evaluation. I really want to learn. Would you mind if I interned for you or shadowed you? And I said, absolutely. That's awesome. So I scheduled him for 10 hours a week to be there. And he was there for like 35 hours a week, 40 hours a week or more sometimes, you know, he just wanted it so badly. And so he got his license and he's just one of those people that has like the intangibles, like the interpersonal skills, the obviously he's got great hands. You know, he's, he's really worked hard at his craft. And Now I'm in a position where I can give him an environment to, continue to learn, continue to grow, but also have a little bit of autonomy in terms of his schedule and, and those types of things. And I think that's really what the younger, you know, the newer grad is probably looking for. You know, a lot of the, you know, younger people are looking for a more flexible lifestyle and the ability to earn their money without necessarily having to do the classic role, whether it's an athletic trainer, physical therapist. I mean, look at any of the rehab professions. None of them have, um, they're not all you know uh cracked up to what the people think they are in terms of like your your ability to make money or or have like a schedule that you know works conducively with your lifestyle so uh that's what i'm attempting to do so it's me and anthony right now i have a physical therapist who i'm speaking with and who is in the process she was actually having her own thing in a crossfit gym which just fell through um so she's going to come over and uh probably rent some space or, or work with us and see her clients out of, out of our location so we're excited to uh Continue to grow the team, and 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 obviously, I'm even more excited that it's a, another professional. And and again, it's we're trying to break down those walls, and and I'm bringing in people who don't see the credential; they just see they see the person, and and uh, they see the individual and what we're all capable of when we push in the same direction.
2: Dive in, dive in a little bit into how you form your business, because I get questions all the time, or we see it in all of our social media communication with athletic trainers all over the country. That they they don't know how to start and they don't feel with the standing orders that they can do it that they feel they're mm-hmm. in certain settings so kind of just give a little bit of understanding as to how you are able to do athletic training or is it more performance or when you are blending the two together based on the the license and the scope of practice
1: yeah. I mean, it is, it is both, you know, and obviously I'm, you know, I have a certification as a personal trainer strength coach as well. Uh, so, you know, it, it is interesting. Every state's different. Uh, New York is even one of the tougher ones to potentially do this in. And, and the hard part about New York specifically is that our practice act is like 25 years old. And there's so many shape, There's so many gray, there's all gray area. Nothing is really clearly defined in terms of private practice or private scope. So the stance that I take is kind of like, putting all the pl- pieces in place, um, which is, you know, I have a medical director, an orthopedic surgeon, who was gracious enough to give me standing orders. And the way that I set up the business as a membership model. Um, so, you know, my standing orders are to treat my members, uh, you know, evaluate and treat as, as necessary. And the other way I approach it is just I don't misrepresent myself. I don't tell people that I'm a different credential. I they sign off that I am an athletic trainer. This is what an athletic trainer is they identify themselves as an athlete, um, in their, in their in, intake paperwork. So, you know, whether that's a recreational fitness athlete or a runner or, you know, and again, I don't know if I need to do that, but I do as from my understanding from the practice act, just so that if I ever had to go to court for whatever reason, I would be able to prove that I put these things in place and, uh, kind of CYA type of, of deal. Um, again, on the actual business side, I'm an LLC, it's a legal liability company, um, you know, it's a non-medical. You know, so again, I'm not working through like insurance or anything like that. So it's a cash-based business, and it is more of a personal training aspect than it is the manual therapy. Only makes up a small part of what we're doing, and then the other aspect of the business is a you know recovery model. So you know, we're building a, a room out, which will be like a, a membership model recovery room that'll have infrared sauna, you know, cold world pools, the NormaTech systems, and just more of these recovery modalities that athletes can use on a regular basis and have access to um and some injury evals. And and again, I just stay in my lane and that's the biggest thing. And and that's what I'm, you know. So obviously the physical therapist who comes to work with us, she's gonna be able to do different things than I'm doing, which is fine. That's you know, her scope. You know, I stick to basic soft tissue work and corrective exercise and and strength and conditioning training, and that's kind of what's worked for me, you know. Um you know, so in an hour session, it might be twenty minutes of manual therapy, maybe up to thirty minutes, and then thirty or forty minutes of movement and corrective exercise. Um, we don't have any clinical grade modalities in the clinic, right? So there's no, there's no e-stim, ultrasound, or laser, or anything that you would need a specific script for. So we keep it strictly over the counter only in terms of our modalities, like basic heat packs that you can buy. Like a for example, like the the Hyper Ice uh, Venom. It's like a heat, vibrating heat pack that you can wear around your back. Or, um, you know, like a complex unit, which is an over-the-counter e unit, which we don't really use that often. But, you know, in, in cases where we want to do some like neuro-re-ed or something like that, it does have settings that mimic what you would do on a, on a clinical grade uh, E-STEM unit. So, again, I think just taking the necessary precautions, putting the insurances in place um, in terms of actually starting a business you know, it, it's really not, it, it's complicated, but, it, you know, there are plenty of resources out there, like which, which business formation is right for you in terms of LLC or S Corp or C Corp and, and deciding, and all that has to do with how you're going to be taxed and um, how the state is going to recognize you in terms of, you know, taxing you. Um, so it's an LLC, which gives me the most flexibility in terms of uh, taxation. Um, it was the easiest and quickest to get started, uh, and it was relatively inexpensive and so that's kind of the direction that I that I went. Um, uh, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> there, there's definitely some other nuances to
2: it. Trainers are always trying to find to start the athletic training service business. Is the standing orders? So right. What was your relationship with your ortho that uh, kind of allowed you to do it? And is that ortho in a big institution? Was their legal department? Uh, weary about having you as this outside entity, mm-hmm. and their insurance policy is covering you. Like, just explain that because that happens every day across the country. With yeah,
1: our- so I think yeah, so uh, it was kind of an interesting thing. So, I was originally set up with a different physician who had a private practice. Uh, so when I first started it, and then I had met another doctor just through a client, uh, another orthopedist. He's with NYU, and uh, or at the time he was transitioning to NYU, he was also private practice when we first met. And, you know, he's a shoulder knee guy and just really loved what we were doing. He really loved the approach um, as opposed to, and again, the way I kind of positioned it with him was, listen, I'm not trying to replace your physical therapy, right? So now he's at NYU. They have their own physical therapy department. We're not a physical therapy clinic. So I don't, he doesn't send me post-ops. He doesn't send me, you know, really acute stuff that he'll still refer out to his physical therapy people. And then when P, so the relationship I have with him is when they get to that return to play decision right? Let's just say it's an ACL athlete, seven, eight months goes by, they go back to see uh, Dr. Shaden and, and, and he determines that they're cleared for participation in sport, right? They're done with that rehabilitation process. Then he just gives them my information. Hey, this is somebody who can continue this. That's more, I'm more of in a reconditioning niche. That's the niche that I've kind of positioned myself in, which is like that halfway house between uh, physical therapy and return to competition and more on the performance side. So he just makes that referral, and, and not all the athletes or all the referrals come in, but the ones that do for an eval, generally speaking, are kind of seeking that continuation of care. And because we have the uh, relationship with the Strength and Conditioning Center, you know, we have the ability to get them into like unlimited training programs where it's not so much like a two-times-a-week thing. Now they go from two or three days a week of physical therapy into a, a training system where they're in there. On on, a, on on an unlimited basis if they want to. So we'll see our athletes anywhere between four to six days a week um, for training. So, um, and then we just incorporate their, their corrective exercise and their recovery in with that training model. So I think the membership model kind of is, is a, a workaround in a lot of senses uh, because it is somebody volunteering to be a part of your group uh, and they're making that conscious decision to do so with the information that they're provided. So um, yeah, that's the relationship. So in terms of insurance, obviously, I carry my own insurance, and, and part of our agreement is that you know when athletes are with us, he's not liable. And, again, it's not at the point that he sends them to me, they are no longer under his care technically. So um, they've moved on from that medical model into the health and fitness space, which is a space that most people go through when they are done with rehabilitation. Even if you're talking about a general population person, they finish their insurance-paid PT or that period of time that they're rehabilitating – And then they go into a LA fitness, you know, and what if one day we lived in a world where athletic trainers were in every commercial big box gym with a small athletic training room. And that person can then say, Hey, listen, I just had shoulder surgery a year ago and I'm want to work out, but I'm not really sure what's safe for me to do and have somebody in the trenches on the ground that can actually help you continue that process. And uh, I think that's kind of what I'm hoping this model can be is a, a template for whether you're an athletic trainer or a physical therapist or, you know, massage therapist, whatever healthcare provider you are to be able to take something and stick it in a, an existing fitness business and actually just add value to that fitness business. And obviously, you know, there's plenty to go around in those, in those
2: situations. So. Why do you think it hasn't evolved into that opportunity? Uh,
1: I think, I think, man, it's a great question. I think part of it is people are afraid to take that jump. Um, because it's non-traditional and it, you know listen I didn't know for sure if I'd make a dime doing this I didn't know you know such so a huge leap that you got to be able and be willing to take like you have to you jump out on your own and you have to assume that you make zero Like that's the assumption that you have to make going into it obviously you hope that that's not the case but uh, I think that's part of it um I think um you know obviously there's been plenty of of uh litigation back and forth between the different healthcare professions I'm not speaking specifically to any two but If you look at all of the rehab professions, all in litigations with each other. And I I think the more money that's spent in fighting the other professions instead of figuring out ways to work together, it's just delaying this process from happening. It is happening. You know, Internet, social media, I think, is starting to break down some of these barriers because now we're able to show our skill set directly to the public, um, which is something that the system kind of kept quarantined for a very long time, you know? And I think that restrictiveness of, hey, if you're an athletic trainer, you can work in a high school, you can work uh, at a college or a pro team and that's it. Um, I think that's starting to start to get stripped away because people want the care that we have to offer. They want that in-between person that, you know, so again, if you go to physical therapy and you do three sets of 10 Jane Fonda's off a template protocol, a lot of people aren't getting the results that they're after and results, people will pay for results, period. Uh, and and um, if if you can be, deliver that for them, they'll they'll pay you. And um, so I don't know. I think partly it's tradition. I think it's partly because of the uh, bantering that happens in between the different professions, and part of it's probably fear. But I think right now, the industry is evolving, and I think this is just part of that natural changes. Uh, we're going to, we're going to see some guys jump through the fence and then we'll see what happens. And I guess I'm one of those people at this point.
2: No, no kudos to you. Just be careful. Cause Jeremy starts his day with 20 Jane Fonda's every day. Just be careful.
1: <laughs> nice. There's nothing, hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, if you're working with a you know person who's a collegiate athlete and then they get into the regular workforce, you know, they have a certain expectation of treatment and training at that point. And I think a lot of classic therapy models are not meeting that, you know, especially as. I don't know how it is out West by you guys, but in in the Northeast specifically, and I'm not just even talking about New York, uh, physical therapy has become dominated by these giant big box corporations. Um, you know, these huge conglomerate physical therapy companies that kind of buy up everybody and put in entry level people, which is fine. And it's, it's really watered down. You know, it's a very watered down model of healthcare because it's all based off of how many people you can get through in an hour. And it's all, um, one of my favorite quotes, and this was recent, and it was from Greg Vanden Dries, who was the, the founder of Rock Tape. Well, obviously, you know, Rock Tape has since sold, but uh, he was the founder of Rock Tape, and he said, there's always a market for quality. And I loved that, because it doesn't, I, can, I can't count, there's not a single person in the four and a half, five years I've been doing this on my own who's asked me, uh, oh, you're just an athletic trainer? Or like has even cared after the evaluation has even cared what healthcare profession I am. And again, if you can give them quality, uh, I think that's the market will decide what is valuable and what is not at the end of the day.
2: No, you're right. There's a big shift in healthcare from the independent practitioner to corporate. Um, it's prevalent, obviously, in just medicine and you know physicians. For sure,
1: that. absolutely,
2: it's across the board. Yeah, it's across the board, but it it does it does impact patient care and the quality mm-hmm. of growth and development that the individual receives, both on the provider side and the patient side. So I love what you're doing to not to prevent it from happening, but to get in front of it from happening to your population and how athletic training can really serve a niche. Because I I mean I, I say this all the time. If we look at like the definition of healthcare, healthcare is defined by insurance. And the true foundation that athletic training was built on had nothing to do with insurance. So right. I will not even feel athletic training is healthcare. I think we are our own space, our own niche, and all we have to do is ask the public, "Hey, do you want to have access to my expertise?" And a lot of people will say, "Yeah, I'll pay for that," because we're not Absolutely. under the driven system. We're not having someone in a cubicle in Iowa dictate what you can do or what another athletic trainer can do. So I love what you're doing. I think it's necessary. And
1: again, and, and you know, my experience with Rock Tape you know, being able to inter- interact with, uh, you know, a multidisciplinary group of people that are really, really amazing at what they do, you know, from Kairos to PTs, to ATCs, you know, from top to bottom, these are just really high performing people. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter what healthcare background you're in, they're experiencing that too. Whereas like, you know, it, it, the big business models come in and it, and it becomes a turn and burn system, a factory style. Let's get as many people through the, the hopper as we can, because that's going to increase our Our top line revenue. And and again, if and these big companies coming in and buying up everything kind of keeps their costs very vertical and central. So they're able to reduce their bottom line. And and again, people know when it's just about the money. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Everybody inherently knows that. And so I've come into a space where I'm offering something that's a little different. It's a different model. You know, some people are hesitant at first because, like, man, I got to pay like a membership or you know, a session fee or that kind of thing. And they're not accustomed to paying out of pocket. But again, once you show them value and you show them, listen, I'm not trying to treat you four days a week or three days a week for 150 bucks a pop. You know, come see me once a week or twice a month. You know what I mean? Just so that I can help guide this process. You know, I'm not even trying to sell them sessions per se. It's, It's more of that like maintenance kind of thing where you're coming in and just working with somebody collaboratively to help you with your programming and your progressions, than just doing it blindly or reading something on the internet or doing a workout off Instagram or, you know, something like that. So again, I think athletic trainers are perfectly set up and positioned to take that niche um, being kind of like that, that halfway between healthcare and fitness Mm-hmm. Um, but again, even, like, I love the way that you said that is we're not even healthcare. I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you that because it was founded in a model where we weren't worried about how much money was going to be paid in. It was said, what can we do to maximize the benefit of the athlete and help them perform and help them stay healthy. So, um, I think if we stay true to that, I think we'll be fine. Um, and again, it's, it's about, I think, you know, social media and having the ability to put out content and show people our value instead of just trying to tell them what our value is. I, I, that's a, I'm a big believer in that. It's like, don't tell people your value based on your credentials, show them your value based on results and what you know and your ability to get those results for people. So, um, that's kind of what I'm standing on that platform and, and hopefully it continues to grow. Mike, well,
0: tell me about how you ensure quality. Cause if you're, um, if you have membership, you have people who can come in six days a week, but you want to give them the individualized care, but as Adam's talking about, how do you not give away your services for free? So right. tell, tell me a little bit about the balance that you're creating there, and uh, again, continuing to provide quality.
1: So I think the biggest thing is, you know, nobody—you can't do this all by yourself. Period. You, you need people that believe in what you're doing that want to support it, right? So I'm I'm fortunate to be partnered with East Coast Strength and Performance. Um, you know, they own the performance center that I'm attached to and, and they really, they understand the value that what we're, what Anthony and I are doing brings to the table and how, you know, they're just such synergistic services. You know what I mean? Like having us or having, you know, Anthony and I there can help them keep their membership more healthy so that they're not pausing them. You know, so again, from that business perspective, it's mitigating risk in terms of loss of revenue for people getting hurt, which does happen in gyms these guys are obviously program so where we collaborate on that so when we take an intake we make sure that our, our initial intakes are uh homogenous in a way that if if i have an athlete and i get this all the time i'll get a young like 12 13 year old let's say baseball pitchers have some arm stuff and i'll evaluate them and i and i'll generally determine man this kid doesn't necessarily need manual therapy. He needs training. He needs to build some capacity and I'll just go in and make that referral because it's the right thing to do. Um, And then there's always opportunities where guys are training with, with the East coast team and things pop up and now they're able to make that referral back. So, you know, it's a, it's a win-win scenario in that situation. So partnering with the right people that have a similar philosophy and a similar goal or an overarching goal, which is to, you know, our goal as a conglomerate conglomerate is to produce and help train the best athletes in our area. Um, And and again, same thing with our general population, help people reach their goals better than anybody else can. And that's how the businesses are going to grow individually and and as, you know, uh, as a unit. Um, So to go back to your like original point, but I, I think that's why you have to have different layers of services, you know, so I have obviously the in-person sessions and people can buy individual sessions. So I try not to do that. I, I, uh, I'll be transparent and I'll, I'm going to give you guys the keys, but I, I intentionally jack up my single session pre- uh, prices so that people don't want to do them. I give discounts based on membership model. So if you commit to lengths of time and you're a member, you're going to get access to special discounts. Um, and special perks, you know? So if you're a member, you can come in and use the facility for your rehab on an unlimited basis. Meaning you might only see me once a week for manual therapy or, or the hands-on stuff, but you can, if you want to come in the next day and work on your correctives and just be around us because we can then, you know, correct, you know, make any adjustments that we need to make in real time. Um, that's just a part of a perk of being a member. Um, and the membership model from a business perspective is, is better because, I can look and project my revenue for the future. So even though I'm gonna take a little bit of a loss on, the, on that per session price on the, for the members, I'm, I'm ensuring that they're gonna be in on at least a once a month basis. You know, and I build enough flexibility into those memberships so that they have the, you know, so they're not locked into a session every week they might not need. So kind of think like a massage envy model, but meets like the performance and, and more like personal training services. Um, and then the recovery room, the actual uh, passive recovery modalities, like that also represents a membership model. That's the lowest point of entry, right? So, you know, if somebody wants to come in and use that, uh, those equi- that equipment for the day, they can pay a day pass rate or they can have a monthly membership or they can use it on an unlimited basis. Again, it's all about access. You know, I'm not trying to... Um, what I'm trying to do is give people as much access as possible for the least dollar amount. Obviously we have to get paid too. You know what I mean? And and again, if you're giving people results that they quickly will stop caring about how much money they're paying uh, because they're happy with what they're getting. And that's what you have to do is give them value. Even little things can be a huge win for perceived value for a lot of people. So, um, you know, just building in multiple layers. You know, don't being. Uh, I think not being so locked in or pigeonholed to one line of service is important, right? So just like any other business, you want to have to kind of diversified lines of service or different levels at, for entry. You know, because that I, I can't tell you how many clients come in just to use the Normatech because they found us on the Normatech website. You know what I mean? So little things like that. And then, Hey, what do you go? So what do you do the normal tech for? Oh, well, I had an ACL reconstruction a year and a half ago and it still swells up on me. Well, you know, would you like to do an evaluation? Uh, We can certainly take a look and see why that, that is the case. And then that might be the entry point for them to discover the other lines of service that we have. Um, so again, you know, uh, I think that's a key thing is not being stuck to one particular model. And again, I don't think I have all the answers. I'm still tweaking it as I go. Um, based on feedback that I'm getting from you know Anthony and, and the other therapists, as well as the clients that are coming in.
2: You talk about the, just your overall business model and your revenue model. And I mean, your education is probably very similar to mine, very similar to Jeremy's where undergrad, we got zero business. Education. For sure. Your, your masters allowed you to open the business if an athletic trainer already has a master's, they're already practicing, and they don't have time or the resources to go back to school to get an MBA, what would be some of your suggestions to help them build out their business model without that business knowledge or expertise?
1: Oh, man. And there's so many great resources out there. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. My business degree did not prepare me at all for being a business owner. (laughs) Not at all. I think I I got some experience setting up sponsorship agreements and marketing agreements and I got experience doing that kind of stuff. So that wasn't a complete fish out of the water when it comes to, you know, contract work language and, and those kinds of things, you know, um, you know, I got a really good opportunity to work with some sports lawyers at at GW and and get some of the insight on, on the legal side of stuff. And I definitely think the experience helped me, but you know, I am still making mistakes and I still am learning every day when it comes to my business. Um, there's so many great resources out there. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, the e-myth is a great place, place to start as a book. There's so many books on business development out there. And again, it doesn't have to be athletic training specific necessarily, um, to, to be able to pull some value from it. So there's so many entrepreneurs and, and great healthcare business people that are putting out fantastic content, um, that put out a lot of content for free, Uh, that you could follow and then you know again i would i would encourage you to purchase you know some of those resources as well like i mean again what you're doing um you know trying to put together resources for athletic trainers specifically because i think it is a unique a unique niche and a unique obstacle especially as we uh are in this process of kind of expanding what the role of an athletic trainer can be um but there's so many business there's so many resources out there if you want the information you can get it You don't have to go to school for it, but you have to do your due diligence. You have to go in and, you know, be open-minded and and seek this information and be able to extrapolate what you need from it and apply it to your unique situation or your vision uh, for your business and what you're trying to accomplish. So I think the biggest key for me was setting up core values. What are the core values of this business? What can I, what can I go back to on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis to, help me make decisions. Right. So when I have, when I'm faced with any decision regarding the business, whether it's a financial decision or a personnel decision or anything like that, I just go back to those core values and make sure that those, those decisions are in line with that. And once you have that base, like mission in place, it becomes a lot easier to determine what your path is going to be because you can always relate back to why you started it. Um, and so that's what I'm just trying to do and, and just, you know, let it grow a little bit at a time organically. But On the business side of things, there's so many resources, health fitness podcasts that you can listen to, audio books, whatever your way of consuming that information is. Obviously, there's mentorships, um, mastermind groups that you could be a part of. I know there's physical therapy mastermind groups that you can get in and that don't neglect, you know, they won't discriminate you if you're an athletic trainer or uh, another healthcare provider. So again, if you could just find the right people that have a similar goal and vision, uh, there's plenty of resources out there.
2: No, it's good you talk about the masterminds and the resources to work with others. That's some of the stuff we're building out. Because if we look at the traditional model of athletic training, the mentorship, unfortunately, has been, I tape an ankle because so-and-so got me. I went to this right. grad school because so-and-so got me in there. I got my first job because so-and-so knew someone. And that's not right. true mentorship. That's just guidance. That's kind of helping mm-hmm. them. Get to the next level so we're building out a whole mentorship program that if someone really wants to take their personal or professional career to another level we're able to not just give them the tools but help guide them into that personal passion and understand what they really want to do and then help lay that path so it sounds like you did this just on your own you might not even yeah, i think yeah to do it
1: You know, I think so. Again, I'm I'm really lucky. I'm really fortunate. I had a lot of great mentors along the way. Um, I had some people that tried to hold me back. You know, and I learned a great deal of lessons from that experience as well. Um, You know, there are people out there that want to see you do well. It's not better than them. You know, so again, it's you know if you could take the learning experience from all of it, and I think athletic trainers have a very unique perspective because name another healthcare provider that would take somebody from on the field injury to all the way to return competition. You know what I mean? Name. Wait. You know, we all, there's everybody has their hands at certain points of that continuum or that process, but you know, for athletes in those traditional settings, there's a singular person who's a part of all of that. So I think if we can take that to the general population, to the general public, I think it'll be m- more well, warmly received than a lot of athletic trainers think it would be. Um And I think part of it was just my frustrations with where I was at with my career. And I had so many people tell me, go back to PT school. And I was like, listen, I already have six figures of college debt. Like I'm not trying to You know what? What does taking on more debt do for me to to go from making you know thirty five grand a year to seventy thousand dollars a year? Like, is that really worth it? And um, I decided that I am more than capable of helping people staying in my lane as an athletic trainer. You know, I don't need to do certain things, and I don't need certain modalities to be able to get people results. And so, I determined that um, you know that that path was for me, and I I think it just kind of happened organically that way. But I think my mission and my passion has always made it really clear what I want to do, which is help people and um, help people get better and, and, you know, help them navigate the obstacles in, in life and sport that sometimes get in the way. And, uh, and I've been able to stay in, in truth to that purpose. And I think it's, it's led me down a really cool path. I'm really excited.
2: No, that's good. A couple of things, just as you talk, I always say that the athletic trainer is the gatekeeper to the sports medicine castle. And then it's the concierge throughout the castle. And there's no other profession that has the ability to greet them, treat them, and then introduce them to the next level provider and then receive them back. We're the only one that has a relationship. So if we talk about why are we trying to chase all these other professions and try to do what they want to do, or you're getting denied or disrespected when you're trying to open a new market for yourself, athletic trainers just don't see the potential of what athletic training can really be. Because we really are sitting on a very, very large opportunity. But the traditional model of athletic training, which is always an employment mindset where you go to work. And like you said, someone is always telling you what to do. doesn't matter how much you work, how little you work. You make the same amount. That if we can have a mental shift to realize that we actually hold the keys to our own future and we stay in our lane. Athletic training could be a really, really lucrative profession for everyone that's involved. But it's gonna take Absolutely. a big movement of a lot of people doing it to change that that paradigm. But we're I mean, you're doing some great things. There's other athletic trainers across the country doing great things. So keep it going.
1: I appreciate that. I really do. Hey, listen, I think we're on the verge of a healthcare revolution. You know, I, I just have a funny feeling in my gut that, you know, healthcare will be one of those bubbles that kind of bursts in our lifetime because uh, because of the business first mindset that has kind of plagued it um, or the money first mindset, which is plagued it, you know, and again, we're seeing lots of small clinics, lots of ho- small hospitals getting bought up and, and it's becoming part of this huge machine. And, and the unfortunate truth is that it's so big and it's so broken at this point, the only thing that's going to change it is, is something new. Um, and you don't, you don't re you don't, you don't start something new by doing what was always done. You have to kind of, uh, take that leap and, and break through. And again, uh, you know, I don't think I'm doing anything differently than any other athletic trainer would um, in their day-to-day practice. It's just a different application. You know what I mean? It's a different way to get people into that entry point, you know? So just understanding that uh, there are people out there that are seeking this and they're seeking they're seeking that that extended care into their fitness and health journey. Um, and I think if we can get back to, I really do love the, the point that you made, which is like the gatekeepers to healthcare, because the reality too for me is I've gotten a lot of business because I'm willing to refer out to, you know, I'm willing to understand where my limitations as an athletic trainer are and say, you know what, the movement underground is not set up for acute and post-surgical stuff. I'm just not set up for that. And when I, and I'll get athletes that want to do their early stage rehab with me, which is awesome, but I will make that referral to the, to the physical therapist in my area that I really like to send people to. And I might have them go to PT twice a week. They may see me once a week for a little bit more hands-on care because they're not necessarily getting that at physical therapy. There's no reason we can't have both work, um, in consort together. Um, I think they're very synergistic, even the physical therapy, kind of like, uh, the physical therapy clinic setting versus the performance therapy setting. I think they're very synergistic, um, and again, I, I think the viewpoint is starting to change slowly in certain circles. And I think that's how it's going to start. And hopefully we can just continue to spread this message that there are people out there um, doing it a little bit differently. And, you know, again, I'm I'm just really fortunate and really grateful to be at a point where I, I can start giving it back. And again, thank you guys for having me on, giving me the opportunity to, to give some of this back because I think it's important for some young athletic trainers here that might be you considering taking on more college debt to go to a PT program or a chiro program or whatever else it may be, or PA program because they feel like athletic training is a dead end. Um, and it's not a dead end. It's, it's, uh, you know, just because it's always been done that way doesn't mean you have to do it that way. You know, it's, uh, you know, what, what's your vision? What's your goal? What do, what do you need to do the thing that you need, uh, want to do with your clients and, and athletes? So.
2: Well, what you're, what you're proving like not on the podcast, but with your business is that your skill set, your knowledge base, people want. And yes. what you are doing is asking them if they will pay for it. And their response is yes. The only reason athletic training doesn't make more money is athletic trainers don't ask for people to pay them. Like it is literally that simple. There's other things they have to do. They have to they might have, they might have to have a business, they have to have standing orders. Those are just logistics. The only reason our profession does not make more money is the individual athletic trainer does not ask the thousands of people per year that they give free treatment to. Will you pay me $5? Will you pay me $15? Will you pay me $30? Sure. That's the only reason. And you're proving that people, the public, former athletes, current athletes will pay you for your expertise.
1: Absolutely. Again, it, you know, it's a, uh... You you can't just assume, but yeah, absolutely. I think, and that's what I was attempting to do with Recovery Lab, and what I'm doing now with the Movement Underground is is showing that it's not people don't again show your value based on results, and not your credential. The credential is just the means to which you are providing as a as a healthcare or fitness person. So, people ask me that all the time, like what what's the best way to go? And it's like, listen, there's good and bad in every profession. You know, just be savagely good at what you do. You know, if you really want people to pay you for what you know, then know your stuff, you know, but you also have to care too. And I think that's the biggest thing. The biggest change people get when they come to my facility is they're greeted with a hug. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're part of our family. They're just like, just like it was in the trenches with all those athlete athlete teams that I worked with for the first seven, eight years of my career. Um, which was, I am in your corner. I have your back. I'm here as a guide. I'm not going to fix you, but I'm going to help facilitate your, journey and that's if and again if we can just position it that way um i think more people would be receptive to it you know we're we're trying to sell individual services and what tech is the best and what technique is the best and again it doesn't matter what matters is the result that you get for the person in front of you at that time so uh, and the only technique they care about is the technique that gets them the result and again that's different for everybody it's an individual thing so just building out your core concepts your core philosophies and and then being able to be moldable to each individual uh, case is important too.
2: Yeah, no, hearing you say that it reminds me of a, at our district meeting last year, our board uh, all got together and we just had an open forum with uh, and David Geig, who's now our district director for district seven. He made the point about this whole identity crisis that happens in athletic training where people don't like to be called trainer, you know, and if someone doesn't call them an athletic trainer, they really get upset and he said, it's almost like a, a form of endearment that when a, an athlete calls a coach, coach, like that's out of respect. And sure. if there's an athlete that gets injured on the field and they say trainer, it's usually out of respect because it's a quick, efficient way to get their attention. So it's right. more of an identity crisis internally that we're trying to figure out how, you know, people respect who we are. But David's point was, I'm David. It doesn't matter what people call me. It's the ability to help them get where they want to go. It has nothing to do with my credential. It has nothing to do with the letters behind my name. Absolutely. It is really about, like you're talking about the, the skill set that you have to help them on their healthcare journey, their performance journey, that I think the individual athletic trainer needs to step back and say, what's important to me? How am I going to be able to help the community that I'm working through? And if they call me a name that I listen to and I know what they are, then it doesn't matter because I'm then I'm Adam and I want to help them.
1: It's exactly right. It's exactly right. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times, you know, especially with athletic trainers in, in particular, I get frustrated with like, we were just focusing on, on things that don't really change anything. You know what I mean? Like we've been fighting that battle of call us an athletic trainer for 50 years. Like how far has that taken the profession? You know, is that, is that a really valuable use of our time, energy, and money? Uh, to push that initiative. And, and so for me, you know, I've had my frustrations with the profession itself, but um, I, I think it, I always come back to the fact that I'm Mike, you know, and and the people that are seeking my service are because they are seeking care that's in line with my philosophy. And guess what? Not everybody's does that. You know what I mean? Not everybody is seeking that sports performance type of setting and people that come to the movement underground, it might not be a good fit for them. And that's okay too, you know, and there's plenty of people that you know, whatever moves that person is going to move that person, right? So if you're an athletic trainer, and you're really into yoga, and yoga is your vehicle for which for getting people to move and and feel their body and use their body in, in a more robust way, then then utilize that niche, and that perspective to speak to those people. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, if you're trying to speak to everybody, then that becomes really difficult. And I'm not trying to speak to everybody, I'm trying to speak to that. That inner athlete, right? So I believe in the Bill Bowerman quote: "If you have a body, then you're an athlete." So I have, you know, a 76-year-old golfer who considers himself an athlete, and his goals are just to be able to play uh, 36 holes in a weekend and and you know not have his feet, his calves hurt, you know. So for me, you know, he's an athlete, you know, and we just have to figure out what we're going to do to navigate using the skill set that I have or the knowledge that I have in terms of strength and conditioning. So it really depends, you know. I think your message is going to speak to the people that it inspires and, and and that's, what's going to give you that intrinsic value in return. So, you know, it, it, that's what keeps me coming back. You know, there's been plenty of lean times. Uh, we're not making money, lots of hours, you know, similar to like a traditional role. But I think when you know your why the what and how you can endure any what and anyhow, it becomes a little easier um, to, to stick it out. And so just, again, really grateful for, for where I'm at right now. And I'm excited to see, where this continues to go and you know I don't think I ever considered myself somebody who was going to be like uh you know uh an inspiration for other athletic trainers I I never I guess I always embraced kind of being behind the scenes like so many athletic trainers do really well and you know now that like the social media has kind of grown a little bit and I get so many messages I think last year NATA when I met you was just a crazy experience for me because I hadn't been back to an NATA conference in a while, like five or six years and to hear so many young athletic trainers come up to me and tell me that my content inspired them to do something else or do, you know, or stick with athletic training. I think that that part was just like, man, it's time for me to give back to this thing on, on some kind of level. Um, so that's what I'm planning to
0: do. Mike, as we kind of close out here, I want, you mentioned like the mentors, all the different people, uh, people have come up to you. So I want you to think of just a few people you would like to mention by name and I'm going to have you mention by, uh, them by name and say thanks. And then also how people can get a hold of you. So in just a second, I'm going to have you do that, give you a second to think. So for me, you can connect with me on Instagram, Sports Medicine Broadcast. And right now we're doing the student athletic trainer scavenger hunt. So you can search hashtag SAT scavenger hunt 2019. That's it. We're doing that in March. But those things stay up. And it's really cool to see people from all across the country joining in, doing that thing with their, with their students. And some of them are really fun. Uh, you know, you just have asking people random things, and you're just in a fun way promoting athletic training rather than trying to say, "Hey, you need to call me athletic trainer." Well, no, we're, you're just a student. You know, we're just having fun. So it's a really cool way. And as you're listening to this podcast, then just search on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, hashtag SAT Scavenger Hunt 2019 or 18 or 17 or 16 because we've been doing it for a few years. But it's a it's just a fun way to. Get people involved, and it's easy for p- other people to share and ask questions as well. All right, Mike, you were up. Tell us the people you're going to think and how to get a hold of you.
1: Oh, man, that's, yeah, that's really cool. um Well, I, I would say my first mentor, and he, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, Glenn Marinelli. He was the athletic trainer at Marist College for 30 years. Unfortunately, a few years ago, he passed from brain cancer, but, um, he, he was the one that told me, and I'll never forget this. He told me two things that I still are core values for my business today, which is first class is a mindset. It's not how much money you have in your budget or how much money you have in your pocket. It's a mindset. Uh, and if you bring that mindset to everything that you do uh, and the passion is there, the money will come. And that's what he told me early on because I wasn't sure if I was going to stay with athletic training. He's like, if this is what you're passionate about, the money will come eventually. And uh, and I'm glad he said that and you know, rest in peace, Glenn, but, Still take that with me. Uh, Andy Clock at Florida, you know, he really opened my eyes to the power of manual therapy and set me on that path um, to using my hands and using my heart and my head to help people. So Andy at Florida, really awesome. Chris Henley at George Washington University's the head athletic trainer there. Just always supportive. Uh, you know, Chris was a guy that always led by example. You know, he always was pushing for, you know, better conditions for all of the staff at GW in terms of hours and pay and benefits and uh, he's done a tremendous job uh, pushing and, and actually improving the working conditions for a traditional model, ATAW and and he was always really supportive of me, you know, seeing private clients and doing the other things that I was doing at the time while I was at GW, so that was awesome. Um, and then, you know, I guess to, to thank, you know, the people at Rock Tape, Allison Evans, Steve Kavimianco, uh, you know, Ethan Christworth, to name a few, but all of the other rock tape instructors, you know, embracing me, you know, helping me in different ways, uh, being that, you know, I think as I got onto my own business, it was, you know, you, you I became the smartest guy in the room, which isn't really a place that you want to be necessarily. And it, to have that network of people that I'm able to collaborate with on a daily basis and that, you know, they're just so encouraging and so supportive of what I'm trying to do. Uh, so I'm really blessed to, to be with rock tape and really excited for, what's going to come with them and then just my guys like anthony pranzo you know he he holds it down for me while i'm on the road teaching and doing what i need to do to make sure that we have what we need for the business to continue to grow and uh warren kelly and frank duffy the guys at east coast the owners of east coast strength and performance again believing what the model that we're trying to do uh joe francisco you know with uh team francisco is one of the baseball organizations that we work really closely with again just seeing the vision and not the credential i think was the thing that i'm the most grateful for right now uh just you know my friends my family you know for being supportive even through the dark times so uh lots of people to thank you know nobody gets there on their own and again trying to give that back Uh, but if you want to reach me uh, i post pretty regular content on instagram at mike stella underscore atc uh, you can go to my website, uh, it's mikestellamovement.com, And that's kind of where I keep like a little bit of my movement underground stuff, a little bit of my, uh, teaching tour stuff. Um, I am releasing a, I don't know if it'll be a four hour course It actually might end up being a six hour shoulder evaluation treatment and corrective exercise course. I filmed that a few weeks ago in Denver. Uh, and I will, I'm waiting to get some of the footage back and hopefully that'll be edited and ready for uh, production by the end of April, early May. So if you're interested in that, I'd definitely love to share that with you. Come to YouTube. The Movement Underground is our YouTube channel. Plenty of long-form content, treatment stuff, clinical stuff on there. Um, and like I said, if anybody has anything specific they'd like to reach out, I'd, I'd be happy to help. And they can just email me at MikeStellaMovement at gmail.com.
0: All right. Awesome, Mike. Thanks, Adam. We know the best way to get a hold of you is Adam at InnovateAT.com and uh, I really appreciate you connecting me with these people, but also joining me um, in getting the best out of each of our guests. So, Adam, I really appreciate the way that you're encouraging me to grow as well.
2: Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Anytime.
1: Yeah, so, thank you guys both, man, for having me. I really do appreciate, uh, obviously, the opportunity to share some of what we're doing and, uh, you know, again, help you guys. This is how we push this thing forward this is how we do it is, is through vehicles like this is just getting this information, educating people. Um, and we just have to be willing to give our time to do that. You know, I think if we do that as a professional, we're going to be just fine.
0: All right. So again, Dragonfly Max is going to host me at the, uh, in Las Vegas or at any of the podcast lounges in the future there, myotech hoist hydration, which I, I did a really cool little video. Cause, uh, the hoist hydration rep dropped off the stuff here for in my school yesterday. So I, I did our NATA or our SAT scavenger hunt challenge with her yesterday, so it was fun. And then Frio Hydration, my preferred hydration equipment. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash performance manual therapy. Again, Mike, Stella, Adam, Halpern, Jeremy Jackson, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash performance manual therapy. Check out the links to the way to contact on show notes um, and even like the Facebook live video. So for Jeremy, Adam, and Mike, that is a wrap. Thank you.